Welcome to the Valley Bear Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study, One Hit Wonders. Did you know that there are five books in the Bible that have only one chapter? They are so good, so important, and full of significance that just a single chapter of writing was given a title and included among the 66 books of the Bible. In this series, we'll discover what made that one chapter of these books such a wonder. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody here in the house, as well as those of you who are joining us online. We're glad you're here. We're in the third week of this series called One Hit Wonders, and we just listened to our the One Hit Wonder that uh, Pat created for us for this series. But uh, One Hit Wonders, when we think about One Hit Wonders, we, we think about those songs that were hits, but the artist never had another hit. They, they tried, but there were none that made it to the charts like that one hit did. And so uh, today, I, I was thinking about this this week. Um, in, in, the, uh, in 1983, there was a band from the United Kingdom named Spando Ballet. Now, if, if you're my age, you probably know the song that I'm talking about. The song is called True, and unlike the past weeks, I'm not going to try even to sing it, okay? Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, they, they had this big hit in the United States, and that was it. But, but ironically, and this ha- seems to happen a lot, is that uh, particularly European bands have, may, uh, have a one-hit wonder in the U.S., but then uh, they have tons of hits in Europe. But that was the case. Now, in the song, uh, Spando Ballet, it, if, if you don't remember anything about it, it, it continues to talk about this one thing is true. And it, you know, it had that smooth kind of 80s pop sound to it, but it never tells you what is true. Uh, now, I know it's considered to be a love song, but, but it never talks about love. It just says this, this one thing is true. And, and, I, and they say, I want the truth to be known. So uh, today we're going to be talking about a biblical one-hit wonder. And it's about the most important thing in the world. It's about truth, the truth that we have in Jesus Christ. And let me remind you what a biblical one-hit wonder is. There are five books in the Bible that are one chapter long. And God, in his sovereignty, saw fit to have those one chapter books included in Scripture. And so, uh, obviously, God thought they were important, so they're important to us. And so, we're going to look today at the book of 2 John, or we could call it the letter of 2 John, because the reality is, is that these were letters written by apostles to the churches. And most of the epistles of the New Testament were written by Paul, but John actually wrote three. And uh, very easy to remember, there's 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. So we're looking at at 2 John today. And uh, as we do so, uh, the letter of 1 and 3 John were, uh, and, and 2 John, were written to the church in Ephesus because they were going through a difficult time. There was, there was a split, a, a schism that was happening because of the influence 
of, pe- of people who were teaching false doctrine. So they were false teachers, and these false teachers had influence on the people, and, and people were being led astray. They were actually leaving this little church in Ephesus. And, and so, you know, Paul, uh, John starts off with a rather unique greeting. He says, from the elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children. Now, he's not writing to a specific woman. Uh, who has a bunch of children. He's, he's writing to a church, and he's using that anthropomorphism of calling the, the church a lady, and obviously the, the children of the lady are the members of the church. And, and John's message could be very simply encapsulated in, in a couple of words. It would be walk, don't run. In fact, there are three specific times in this 13-verse book where John tells his readers to walk. And we're going to look at those, okay? First, he says, walk in the truth. So let me read verses 1 through 4. The elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth which lives in you, in us, and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. So if you were counting, truth was mentioned five times in four verses. So John's talking about how joyful he finds it to see the people of this church walking in the truth that God the Father has commanded them to walk in it. And so to walk in the truth, what does that mean? For for followers of Jesus, it means to live believing in the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus is who he said he is, that Jesus has done what he said he would do, and that he now is the king of God's kingdom, and those who believe in him should follow him. And so to, to walk in the truth is to believe in Jesus. John wrote in his gospel this that Jesus said. He he quotes Jesus where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, since I just quoted the gospel of John, it's important for us to remember that that truth is a huge part of John's vocabulary. It comes out in the gospel. It comes out in his three letters, his three epistles. And it also comes out in the book of Revelation, which he he wrote. That truth comes out because he wanted to make sure that people knew the truth of who Jesus was and what it meant to believe in him. And he wanted them to know that God, the Father, and the Son sent the Holy Spirit, who he calls in the gospel of John, the spirit of truth, because the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and dwells in us and reveals all truth to us. Now, in the, the first verse of 2 John, he says that the people in the church know the truth. So, John understands this, that, that followers of Jesus, they are a community who believe in Jesus. So, they know the truth. And now they need to live in the truth. And and that's important for them. And that's why he says, walk in the truth. And the reason he has this emphasis is because of what's been going on in Ephesus. What what has happened? The, The church has been split because there are these false teachers who were not teaching the truth about Jesus. They taught that Jesus specifically did not 
come in the flesh, that he didn't have a human body, that he, that he really wasn't fully human and fully God. Now, scholars call this false teaching docetism, and it comes from a Greek word which means to seem. And so the reason they call it docetism is because the false teacher said it only seemed like Jesus had a human body. But here's the problem with this false teaching. Uh, it, it denies some of the essential core truths of the gospel. First, it denies the incarnation, that Jesus came in the flesh, that he was fully human and fully God. And, and think this through. We can just sort of follow the domino effect here. If Jesus didn't come uh, in the flesh, if he wasn't fully human, then he didn't really die on the cross because he wasn't human. And if he didn't die on the cross, then he didn't pay for our sins through his sacrificial death. And if he didn't die, then there wasn't a resurrection. And if there wasn't a a resurrection, then the power and sin, the power of sin and death were not defeated. And if Jesus didn't defeat the power of sin and death, and no one can be saved. I mean, the Apostle Paul says this in, in the first letter of Corinthians. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So this is why John says, walk in the truth. To, to acknowledge that Jesus is the truth then is to believe in him and to follow his teaching no matter what. Now, we understand as followers of Jesus that there is truth in this world. In fact, that there's absolute truth and that God reveals that absolute truth through the gospel, through Jesus. A few years ago, Alan Bloom wrote a work called The Closing of the American Mind. And in it, he states that the single most agreed upon truth on the American college campus today is that truth is relative. In other words, that truth is not absolute. And we see this lived out when people say, well, you know, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Or they might say, well, you know, speak your own truth. Well, there can't be multiple versions of truth if truth is absolute. But in our, uh, in our minds, what we've created is this idea is that truth My truth is my truth, and your truth is your truth, and there's no absolute truth. And that perspective is wreaking havoc on all of our lives because it undermines what we do in business. It undermines how we live our lives. It undermines our education system. It undermines our morals and our values and everything else. And it's interesting, in the book of Judges, Uh, it said this, that everyone did what was right in their own minds. And that's what relative truth is. Well, it's right in my mind, so I'm going to do it, even if it's not right in your mind. But truth is absolute. Now, think this through. When Bloom, Alan Bloom wrote this, this was almost two decades ago, and that was before the assault on truth that we see today with the rise of disinformation campaigns and and fake news and, and really the contentious nature of culture 
truth becomes the major casualty because people will say, well, it's true for me, even if it's not true for you. So obviously that the lack of the belief in absolute truth is concerning as much for us today in 2022 as it was for the first century for this little church in Ephesus. So, John tells us that we're supposed to walk in the truth, but he goes on and he says this. He says, walk in obedience and in love. So let me pick up verses five and six. He continues, and now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So John's reminding us of what Jesus taught, that that Jesus taught his followers to love one another. And John gives us a definition of love. And that definition is that we actually walk in obedience to the commands of God. In other words, we walk in obedience to the absolute truth that God has revealed to us. He tells us that we're obedient when we love God and love others. We're obedient then to the the truthful teaching of Jesus when we love others. So walking in truth and love are our themes in John's letters. And why? Because first and second John are dealing again with what's going on in their culture. They're trying to combat the false teaching, the, the lies that are being taught, the, the things that are being done to draw people away from Jesus and the absolute truth of the gospel. Now, as we read this letter, we, we discover that uh, those who are uh, left were Uh, who left that little congregation were disobeying the truth of God's word and the commands of God, and they were having an influence on others. And and really, you know, that's that's a sad reality that when, uh, when people disagree, they say things and they do things to draw people away from the truth or to vilify them and make them the enemy. And uh, sometimes we even see that right now in our culture. When people disagree on issues or ideas, what do they do? They, they try to turn them into the enemy. And that type of vilification should concern us. And this is why. What did John just write that Jesus taught? And he said it's an old command. And what's that old command? That we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And and remember what Jesus said, that you will demonstrate that you are my disciple. In other words, that you follow my teaching if you love one another. Love one another, not the ways of the world. So in this letter to John, we are reminded that uh, he's reminding the, the readers of the command to love each other and to follow that truth. And uh, even if someone is not nice to you, that, that command that you find John speaks in this uh, letter, he also speaks it in the first letter of John five times. Uh, we see Jesus commanded his followers to love one another three times in John's gospel. And in fact, as I said, he said it's the calling card to the world that we're followers of Jesus if we love one another. Now, Let's just 
pause for a moment. Let's just take a moment to reflect on our lives. And I want you to ask yourself, just ponder this question. Ask yourself, when people look at my life, do they know I'm Jesus' disciple by the way I love other people? When people look at your life, do they say, wow, I think that person's a follower of Jesus because they love people like Jesus does. Do you love people or do you argue with them? Do you love people or do you just tolerate them? Are you demonstrating that you're a disciple of Jesus? John tells the church in Ephesus to walk in love and obedience and truth because it is the way of Jesus. It's countercultural. It's what disciples of Jesus do. They follow his teaching. They do what he commands. But there's more to this letter, this letter 2 John, than just telling them uh, to walk in truth and love and obedience. He also says, don't run. So let's look at that. Beginning in verse 7, he says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world, and any such person is the deceiver and antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. So there's a lot going on here. Again, he's turned to these people who are creating the split in the church because they're not teaching the truth of Jesus. And he takes it head on, exposing what the deception is, that people are spreading the false truth that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. So uh, these people who are teaching this are no longer in this little congregation in Ephesus. As John said, they've gone out into the world. And as a reminder of why this false teaching was such a big issue, he says that they deny that Jesus came in the flesh. And of course, as we said earlier, that would mean they would uh, deny that he died. They would deny that he was the sacrifice for the atonement for our sins. And thus, without that sacrifice, we wouldn't have forgiveness of our sins and we wouldn't receive salvation and eternal life. Now, when John says that any such person is the deceiver or the antichrist, those are strong words that he's saying. And and he's talking about people who, who are lying about what it means to be saved. That's why his language is so strong. He knows people's eternal destinations are in the balance, and so he wants them to be wise. Now, uh, if that term antichrist uh, is a little confusing, just let me explain. In ancient Christian literature, it talks about the coming of a powerful figure who would be the opposite of Jesus Christ. He would be the antichrist. And ancient Christian uh, teaching also makes a distinction between that one great and powerful person who would be the antichrist and lesser people who would be Antichrist figures also. But essentially, 
what they were trying to do was to draw people away from following Jesus. And any function of the lesser or the greater Antichrist is someone who's going to deceive people, try to pull them away. So John is saying that these false teachers, these deceivers, are functioning like Antichrists. And it's because of these lies that the deceivers and Antichrists are spreading that makes John say this. He says, watch out that you do not lose what you've worked for, but that you may be fully rewarded. He's saying, listen, don't lose what you have learned. Don't be drawn away. Don't embrace this false teaching because you have followed Christ and continue to follow Christ. He's saying, listen, don't run from this teaching that Jesus was fully God and fully in the flesh. He says also this, he says, don't run ahead into some new teaching that doesn't continue to have you follow Jesus as you've been taught. So in this little congregation, this was important, but also for us in the the capital C universal church, this is also important that John instructs us not to run after some new teaching that doesn't fit the orthodox doctrine that we have learned and been taught from Scripture. He goes even further and tells uh, those in that little congregation, he said, listen, don't invite these false teachers into your homes. Don't give them hospitality. Now, this was a huge deal because hospitality in the first century, really, that was, that was how you cared for people because there were no hotel systems back there. So, uh, but he has this reasoning that actually when you do that, you're giving tacit approval of their false teaching. So uh, this is good advice. But if, if you're thinking, well, how do I know if it's false teaching or not, when John wrote this letter, think about it, to the church in the first century uh, about the death and resurrection of Jesus. At that time, the Bible that we have today wasn't compiled. Yes, there were Old Testament scrolls and scriptures, but honestly, to, to actually have access to them, you would have to go to a synagogue more than likely. That would be the only place because the printing press had not been invented. There were not co- uh, copies uh, as they are today of the Bible that you could have to yourself. And so they would actually take these letters and they would circulate them. They would copy them and circulate them so they could help people learn what the orthodox teaching of Jesus was. So what does that mean for us today? Well, here's the big idea. Jesus calls those of us who believe in him to be his disciples and to make disciples. That's what John was doing with this letter and with the other letters that he wrote. He was discipling people. Now, to be a disciple is to... Uh, To be a disciple means to follow Jesus and his teaching, to read it, to study it, and to share it with others so that they could know it too. And and the reality is this. You you don't have to be a pastor to do that. You don't have to be a, a seminary professor to study God's word. But we are encouraged and challenged to make God's word a daily part of what we take into our minds and to our hearts. I, I said this last week, and I'll say it again. You know, you know, whatever you're consuming, the media that you're reading, that you're listening to, that you're watching, is discipling you. Whether it's, you know, uh, 
the network news or social media or cable news or podcast or video games or even just the, uh, talking to people. If you're taking that more in, taking in more of that than you are God's word, then it's having bigger, a bigger influence on you. So we need to recognize that we need to let God's word in to disciple us, to, to form our values and our beliefs. John understood this. That's why he said to this congregation, walk in the truth. Don't run ahead chasing after some new teaching that's out in the world. He tells us to walk in love and obedience to God's word in this letter and he tells the church in Ephesus to do the same thing. Now, he wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus uh, toward the end of the first century. The Apostle Paul had already been to Ephesus years earlier, decades earlier. He had started this church in Ephesus, and he wrote a, a letter to them long before John did. And, and what he wrote complements this idea of walk, don't run. What he said basically was this, stand firm. In fact, specifically he wrote this, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, I think you see the theme of truth there. Being a disciple requires that we stand firm in the truth and that when we need to walk, we walk in the truth of God's word. So let me read to you the entire section from Ephesians chapter 6 that Paul wrote. He said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I know that was a lot, but there's two things that I want you to pay attention to here. First, disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus know who the enemy is, all right? Who is our enemy? It's the devil. Paul says we put on this spiritual armor to defend ourselves from the devil's scheme. Our enemy is not the other political party. It's not someone who has a different view on social positions. It's not somebody that we disagree with on everything in life or just a little bit in life. They are not the enemy. It's not a person. Paul says our struggle as followers of Jesus, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our enemy is the spiritual forces of evil led by the devil. And what does the devil want? 
He wants us to stop following Jesus. He wants us to stop being Jesus' disciples and to stop making more disciples and to accomplish this goal. The devil doesn't need to make us do a complete 360-degree turn from which way we're going and become devil worshipers and devil followers. He just needs us to be lazy. He doesn't need to make us bad. He just needs to make us lazy. He just needs us to say, hey, I'm a Christian, and, and then go on through life thinking that we're a Christian because we occasionally do things that Christians do, all the while we're being discipled by everything but God's Word. The devil doesn't want us to know that flesh and blood people are not the enemy. He wants us to think that people who don't believe what we believe, who don't vote like we vote, who don't live like we vote, are the enemy. He wants us to think they're the enemy, and he wants us to fight with them so we can, play com so we can be completely distracted. He doesn't want us to know about the armor of God, that God has not given it to us for the offense, but for the defense. He doesn't want us to know this because he wants us to think that we are in a fight against flesh and blood people who need to be converted to our way of thinking, our way of living, our way of doing everything. That's what he wants us to think. He doesn't want us to remember that the Apostle John reminded the church in Ephesus that they were supposed to love others, to love their neighbors. The devil loves it when we think that we're in a war against human beings, against other people, rather than remembering that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. You know, for, for far too long, Christians have gravitated to the militaristic verses of the Old Testament to fight the infidels, to, to fight the culture wars, to fight those who have an assault on our values. And we've forgotten that when Jesus came, he said, I didn't come to replace the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. I came to complete it. I didn't come to replace the law and the prophets. I came to complete it. And he gave us a new command to love one another. Why did he do that? Well, first, because what happened in the Old Testament was for the old covenant that God made in a time when, like it or not, wars and fighting was how things were done. But second, when Jesus came, he brought the new covenant that was made through his sacrificial love, and he calls his followers to emulate that same type of sacrificial love. Remember how Jesus said people would recognize that a person was a disciple if they love one another. That's the truth that we're supposed to walk in, that we're supposed to stand firm in. And one of the evidences that we're growing as a disciple of Jesus is that we're loving others like we love ourselves. And why, why did he say love others like you love yourselves? Well, we know how we love ourselves. And so then we'll, we know how to love others. Remember also Jesus said, we're not so, supposed to fight our human enemies, those who don't have the same views as us, 
as us. He says we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Now, look, I, I know we all have positions and thoughts and theories and things that we are passionate about. And sometimes we do disagree about those things. But how we relate to one another that we disagree with is important. How we treat them is important. How we speak to them or about them is important. What we say on social media about them is important. Have you ever stopped to consider this? You know, the reason the world is not flocking to the church is because Christians do such a poor job of loving people. The devil doesn't have need for us to become his followers when he can make us poor followers of Jesus. Uh, you probably have heard this uh, decades ago. Uh, the famous leader of the national sovereignty movement for the country of India, Mahatma Gandhi, he famously said this about followers of Jesus. He says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. To be a disciple is to seek to be like Jesus. To do that means we need to stand firm in the truth that we're supposed to love people like Jesus did because our struggle is not against people. It's against the forces of evil. So we need to know who our enemy is. But Paul also tells us this, that we're supposed to stand firm in what is good. So let me remind ourselves of those good things that we're supposed to stand firm in to defend ourselves against the devil. So in beginning in verse 14, he says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So Paul's using the soldier's army metaphor to illustrate our struggle that it's not with flesh and blood, that it's with the devil. And thus, we're not supposed to fight the way the world fights battles. First and foremost, a disciple makes sure he or she has embraced the things that we need for our own defense. Now, why am I emphasizing defense? Because of the metaphor Paul uses. All of those pieces of armor were for defense except for the sword of the Spirit. And we'll get to that in a moment. He says that we need these things to stand firm and to grow in the truth. And they were righteousness, peacefulness, faith, and our salvation in Jesus. So the one piece of equipment that was for offensive use is the sword of the Spirit, which he says is the Word of God. We use the Word of God to stand firm against the devil's schemes. So how do we do that? Well, Jesus actually showed us that. 
At the beginning of his ministry, uh, he fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. You can read about this in the Gospels, particularly Matthew chapter 4. And after he had fasted for 40 days, it says the devil came and tempted him. The first thing he, he tempted him with was the lust of the flesh. So think about this. After fasting for 40 days, Jesus would be hungry. His flesh would be craving food. And the devil tempted him to use his power to turn stones into bread to feed his fleshly appetite. But Jesus resisted. He resisted with the word of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. Next, the devil tried to tempt Jesus into the, in an area of pride, but Jesus withstood that temptation. Again, with the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. And then, finally, he tried to tempt him with the lust of the eyes because the devil tried to tempt him with wealth and riches that he didn't have to go through everything he was going to have to go through to be who he became. But again, using God's word, the sword of the spirit, he used God's word to defeat Satan's temptation. Now, I think we can identify with those things that Satan used to try to tempt Jesus the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride. But every time he was tempted, Jesus quoted God's word to defeat that temptation, to defeat Satan. He showed how to use the sword of the spirit, the, the word of God, when Satan attacked him. In that instance, he modeled for us the importance of, of knowing God's word and taking it in daily. So as I wrap up this one-hit wonder on 2 John, it exhorts us as followers of Jesus Christ to walk in the truth, to not run ahead to new teachings. And then what we learn from Paul is that we need to stand firm in this truth so that we can recognize the false teachings of the world and the false teachings of the devil's schemes, and we can stand strong. So in response to a message like this, the, the people in Ephesus probably were encouraged to go into God's word. So that's what I'm going to encourage you to do, that, that you and I need to have a daily diet of taking in God's word. Here's my challenge for you. Turn to the gospel of Matthew today. Read one chapter. Read a chapter a day. When you're done with the gospel of Matthew, go on to the gospel of Mark. And continue on. And as you prepare to read that chapter each day, to take in God's word, say a little prayer before you begin to read. Say, God, what do you want me to hear today? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to see? And then just open your heart and your mind to hear from him. And if you have questions or you, or you have struggles along the way, you want some uh, assistance, send us an email at connect at valleybrook.cc. We would love to help you and encourage you with what you're reading and what you're seeing. You want to take it up a notch? If you're already doing this, then uh, ladies, find another Christian lady. Guys, find another Christian man and say, let's read the same verse on the same day and then let's talk about it, either on the phone or through text, what you're learning, what God's telling you. There's some accountability in there. And you become like iron sharpening iron as you talk about what you learn. To live in the truth, to walk in the truth, we need to do that. And we're going to close with a final song. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. 
But as they get ready to play this song, I want us to spend a little bit of time in prayer. And if you recognize, wow, you know, I really haven't been feeding on God's word and you need to take a moment to confess that you haven't been walking in the truth and standing in the truth because you haven't been taking in the truth, then go ahead and confess that. And then I'm going to pray for each and every one of us that, that God would just clear our hearts and our minds to take in God's word every day. So if you would, bow your heads and let's pray. So Father, we're just going to begin and, and confess to you, Lord, that we have not fed ourselves on your word like we should. We haven't taken it in regularly, much less daily. And so, Lord, because of that, we have not always walked in the truth or stood firm in it. So we ask for your forgiveness. And now, Lord, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would work in each one of our lives, that, that you would encourage us, that you would remind us every day to read a little bit of God's word, to take it in, to let it begin to influence our values and our beliefs and the way that we live in this world. Lord, I, I pray for each one of us that we would walk in the truth, but we would also walk in love and we would walk in obedience to your word. That we would demonstrate to the world that we are disciples of Jesus by the way we love because we're obeying the truth of God's word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.